Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance ECOs. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm so excited for this episode. When I got off this interview, I was flying. And I, I said to myself, that was the best one that I've done yet. And I may be a little bit biased because I am a hockey player. I grew up in the city of Edmonton. The Edmonton Oilers, if you guys don't know, is rivalries with who are called the Calgary Flames. And it was rivalries all through the 80s and 90s, okay? These are two hockey cities that battled and my next guest, the one and only Theo Fleury, played on the Calgary Flames, won a Stanley Cup with them in 1989, played on the Olympic team with some of the greatest people, won a gold medal in 2002. This guy is amazing. And not only did he accomplish so many things in hockey, he grew up a smaller dude and making it into the NHL at his size with that level of, the level of rough hockey and the size and the, the, the way people played in the 80s and 90s is way different than it is now. That era, you watch it now, it's nuts. And to be make it as a smaller guy, you had to be fucking strong. You had to have the heart of a lion. And Theo Fleury has the heart of a lion. Growing up watching him, he was always one of my favorites. Even though he played on an op the opposite team, and I hated the Calgary Flames, he, you can't help but love the guy's fire in his spirit. Later on, getting to know about his story when he wrote the book, Playing With Fire, blew my fucking mind because the guy had been through so much stuff. He was sexually abused. He had to go through so much trauma. He was, he was addicted to drugs and alcohol. We get into all that, you guys. We get into talking about his story, what he's up to now, how he's helping people, talk about his book, talk about some of the stuff in hockey. We get into all of it. It goes about just under 90 minutes. I hope you guys like this because I wanted to bring you the best that I could. And when I finished this interview, I was like, that was fucking awesome. And I'm so happy with that. Of course, I wish there was questions that I may have asked them after, but I really think you guys are going to love this. I urge you guys to stick with this right till the end. Please, if you get value, take a screenshot of this, tag Theo and myself in it, share it in your Instagram story. Let us know what you think leave a review, rate it, whatever you can do to share and add value to this, to show that we brought heat to you and that you got value from it or inspired you or whatever, please do. Text to a friend, all you hockey guys out there, all you guys listening, I know you. you we, this is a big one. And I've been telling my current hockey team, I posted on social media, a lot of people are blown away. The wait is over, it's happening. Theo Fleury coming right up. Theo Fleury, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Dude, this is, I'll tell you, when I started this journey with University of Adversity a year ago, a lot of it was based on my story, but I always had stories in the back of my mind of people that I wanted to bring on the show that right. have, have overcome insane odds and adversity and so many different things. And what you've been able to do and what you've been able to create and what you've opened up for, for players and people to be safe and create this safe place for people to talk has just been amazing. And your book, you know, I read in, in 2012, it, it was, it was amazing, dude. And I just want to say, thank you for coming on. We're going to, we're going to light some years on fire today, my friend. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. So where I, where I want to start is 
for those of you, those of the listeners out there, there's a lot of people, a lot of hockey people that will be listening to this that know your story, yeah. but there's a lot of people who are just getting to, to know you now. And this is, mm-hmm. this is what's exciting is that it's powerful. So let's take it back to the beginning before all the craziness started. Mm-hmm. What was it like for a young Theo Fleury growing up in Saskatchewan? <laughs> well, you know, both my parents experienced childhood trauma in their life. And, you know, that, that manifested itself into addictions. And my dad was a alcoholic and my mom was a prescription pill addict. And so, you know, I grew up in a lot of chaos and violence and insanity and, you know, you name it. And so what was really cool as a five-year-old, I discovered this wonderful game called hockey, you know, from the very first time I stepped on the ice, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years old now. You know, every time I step on the ice, it's, you know, it's always been my happy place. It's always been my place where, you know, I could create and, you know, do all kinds of really cool things, you know, that I was really good at and everything that I wasn't getting at home, you know, when I stepped into an arena, I got friends and teammates and lots of amazing people, adults, parents, you know, who looked after me and, you know, instilled me with some really incredible values and, and lessons and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, I was very fortunate to discover something, first of all, that I liked. And then secondly, that I was, you know, really, really good at. Right. And then, you know, did you know at that age, because I mean, I read your book back in 2012, but I can't remember if you were, how were you really good when you first started or was it, did you kind of, did you know at that time that you were like the elite of the elite? <laughs> like, you know, at that age where, I mean, everybody yeah. wants to be Wayne Gretzky, but mm-hmm. there's the kids that are really good at a young age. And then there's the kids that kind of develop later. Well, what was funny was, you know, randomly in like November, I'm walking home from school with one of my classmates and you know he said to me he said hey we're having our first hockey practice tonight would you like to play and I was like you know at that point I can't remember if I'd ever been on the ice at that point in my life when I ran home I asked my mom if I had any you know equipment and we searched around the house found an old pair of skates that were like two or three sizes too big a broken hockey stick, some old stinky, smelly hockey gloves. And I don't know if you're young enough to remember, but we used to have these things called Sears catalogs. Oh, yeah. I'm 36. So, yeah. Which is, you know, similar to what Amazon is now, right? (laughs) And so I grabbed a couple of those to use as shin pads. Wow. And I put all this stuff in a pillow sack and I went down, you know, I went to this hockey practice and you know I put on all this gear which was like what the hell is all this stuff and whatever but you know my experience that day was you know I didn't struggle I didn't fall down and you know pretty much fell head over heels in love with the game and then you know we moved to another town which was Russell Mm. which became my hometown and the first year of organized hockey, I scored a hundred goals. So yeah, no big deal, huh? <laughs> and then you know, and then my last year of Pee-wee, well, when I was twelve, you know, our team played sixty-three 
games that year, I scored 288 goals in 62 games. And so, you know, but I, you know, I basically lived at the rink because I didn't want to be at home. I didn't want to have to experience, you know, all that insanity and chaos. And, and like I said, you know, it, it was, it was just the place where, you know, I felt comfortable and I felt, you know, I belonged somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, you're, you're seeking what you weren't getting at home in hockey and you know, you're, you're belonging, you're doing well, yeah. you're getting those like dopamine hits, you're putting the puck in the net for sure. And you're just yeah. like, and you don't even, that's the thing is we don't even have that awareness as kids. No, like what's happening, but well, and then we, you, do, you know, you, what did, what did we know about yeah. you Nothing. know? Yeah. brain science back then like yeah exactly right so yeah you know. yeah exactly so all right you you were a great hockey player you you gravitated towards that you started to get in and then you know you got into getting into junior mm-hmm. and you started to get into that so walk us through that yeah and just kind of unpack that whole experience of the teenage years and, and right. having to move away because a lot mm-hmm. of people don't understand I haven't really talked about my junior hockey career on here. So maybe the, the experience of moving away and having to deal with all that kind of stuff as right. well as what went on. Well, let's see. When I was 14, I was a part of the very first Bantam draft that was held in the Western Hockey League. And I got picked in the second round by the Winnipeg Warriors. And so the summer after I got drafted, you know, the guy that, drafted me came to my house and Russell sat my parents around the kitchen table and basically said you know we think that Theo needs better competition you know better coaching we'd like him to move to Winnipeg every day after school he can practice you know with the big team and you know and I my parents knew right from day one what I wanted to do and so they didn't hold me back and you know I moved to Winnipeg when I was 15 years old and you know, needless to say, that choice and decision would change me for the rest of my life. Because over the next two and a half years, this scout, this coach, you know, raped me 150 times over that period. And so, you know, I was left with a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. And there wasn't one person in the world I could have told because I knew if I told, first of all, I wouldn't be believed. And secondly, I knew it would be the end of my hockey career. And so, you know, I just kept this secret inside. And then, you know, it wasn't too long after that, I discovered alcohol as a coping mechanism. And then, and then off to the races, I was, you know, just, but, you know, I managed to have an amazing junior hockey career, amazing professional career. And, and, but, you know, what we know about addictions is your addiction never gets better. (laughs) It gets worse and worse and worse. And and I had, you know, lots of mental health issues. I had panic attacks and anxiety, depression, you know, all that stuff. And so at the end of my career, why, why, you know, everybody thinks my addiction was the thing that took me, took me out of the game, but it was the unmanageability of my mental illness that, you know, took me out of the game. I could no longer, you know, manage you know, the anxiety and and the depression. And, you know, I think probably more than anything, the panic attacks were the ones that took me down. And, you know, nobody was talking about mental health, you know, or I remember I was in New York 
And I had a panic attack on the ice and, you know, basically took myself out of the game. So I'm sitting, sitting in the medical room, talking to the doctor and I go, I don't know what just happened. You know, I just like, I feel weird and da da da. And so next thing you know, he writes a script prescription, right? And now I'm on the fucking, you know, synthetic brain chemistry tour of, you know, taking different kinds of antidepressants and, and then drinking on this, on top of that. And then, you know, discovering cocaine and, you know, so, you know, all that was just, you know, completely unmanageable. And, and, you know, at the end, that's what took me out. Fuck man, that, that, that journey through your book, I remember I was reading it and I just, I couldn't like, I could, you know, being in the bars and partying and I, I worked in the nightclubs for a long time. So I could really, I related to that when you're telling about the stories about the drugs and the alcohol, yeah. not to that extent where, I mean, that kind of money was dropped, right? but I could relate and I could, I was like, man, I like, this is, this is crazy. And we don't know why, well, at least I didn't know why I was drinking and partying <laughs> like that. Absolutely. Like you, you, you think it's, it just becomes, it's part of the norm too, almost. Yeah. You, you get in, you know, you get involved in that circle of people yeah who you know all have trauma history yeah right you yeah. know that's it's why you're, that's why you're hanging around these people is because you know you're all you know you're basically not living you're just coping right from day to day you know yeah it's crazy how many people when you think about it man are walking around with this stuff oh yeah well, it's like bag of bag of weights that yeah. they're not addressing and they're just looking for this thing this external thing, drugs, alcohol, sex, to like yeah. fill this void. Gambling. Fucking crazy, man. Yeah. It's insane. And, you know, what I find interesting, you know, is that the Canadian Mental Health Association says one in five Canadians suffer with, you know, mental health issues. And, you know, it's such bullshit. It's five and five. It's all, yeah. right? And, you know, the reason why it's become what it's become is, is, you know, we haven't created a safe space in society yet where, you know, we all feel comfortable coming out with, you know, whatever it is we need to talk about. Right. You know, and I, I I really hate the word addiction too, because it has so much shame attached to it. Yeah. And, you know, so I've sort of changed it to like a three word sort of phrase and it's, you know, Emotional pain management is what addiction is, Mm. right? Is we, you know, we experience trauma. Trauma leaves us in emotional pain and suffering. So how do we deal with the emotional pain and scars that are left behind from whatever experience it is? Well, we gravitate towards the dark side of life and, you know, get involved in addictions, you know, whatever that is for you, you know, food, sex, gambling, alcohol, drugs, you know, or, you know, perfect example is, you know, the Vancouver Canucks inserting a policy where you can no longer bring your game consoles on the road because, you know, the young generation is getting addicted to video games. Yeah. Right. So nuts, man. Yeah. It's, and you know, we're going to gravitate towards anything that numbs us out from the reality of that emotional pain because there's no safe place that we've created where we can, you know, have this conversation like you and I are having right now. Yeah. And this is why I love this Theo is because, you know, there's, it's rare that two hockey guys get to have this conversation 
it's so powerful, bro. Like, this is why I love this. I get fired up because, you know, we weren't conditioned to be vulnerable. That was a weakness. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up in Edmonton and then even as a teenager and junior, it wasn't, if you, if that's weak, opening up and, and sharing your feelings is like sissy talk. Yeah. Right. But and it was sort of, but it was sort of like the culture. Yeah. That's the way right? it was. Is, is yeah. You know, not saying that that was, you know, bad or indifferent or whatever. No. It was the time that, you know, we sort of, exactly, you know, were plopped into, but I can tell you, without that resiliency that was built in to that, you know, that yeah. era that we grew up in that sort of tough yeah. love era, which, you know, gave me resilience. Yeah. Resilience, you know, was hugely beneficial, you know, yeah. when I decided to clean up my life and get my life straightened around because I had that, you know, will to live or, you know, should I've been through, all of this stuff, you know, yeah. let's just go the, let's just go the rest of the way. Let's just go, you know, the final yeah. distance and see, see what happens. Right. And yeah. so it was, and that's what I try to tell people all the time is if you can find the gift in the pain and in the suffering, then that's the reason why you went through whatever you went through. Right. There's always a reason why things happen instead of, you know, grabbing onto the victim, you know, playing that victim role, yeah. which is pretty much the whole entire bar scene, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, you have a whole bunch of victims of yeah. whatever it is, yeah. you know, and they're all drowning their sorrows in this crazy, insane behavior, yeah. right? Until, you know, like all of us, we get to that place where am I going to die or am I going to live? And we have to make that choice. And I would say the majority of us want to live, but we don't know how, right? We just know how to cope, right? Whether I'm happy, sad, mad, glad, all I know it's a feeling and I know how to make it go away, right? And, but eventually all that stuff stops working, right? You know, I can't sleep with enough women. I can't do enough drugs. I can't, you know, drink enough, you know, it all stopped working. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to do now? And so it was just a choice. I said, you know what, I'm going to stop all this stuff and you know, whatever comes at me, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to face it and I'm ready to deal with it. And, and yeah. And so it wasn't too long after that. That's when, you know, the book came out and you know, the book changed my life. Right? Yeah, because, changed a lot of people's bro. Like that was, that was, an, that was probably you know, what's interesting is, you know, the majority of people I run into who are early on or thinking about, change yeah is they think they're the only person in the world that this is happening to right yeah. and yeah. that's the way that i felt too right yeah and you know when that dude at the very first book signing came up to the table you know put the book in on the table looked me like right into my soul and said me too and i was like holy shit wow, wow. you know because i had no idea why i was writing the book Right. Right. Other than for selfish reasons, getting all this shit off my chest and, you know, maybe take one last look at it, put it in its rightful place. And this guy shows up at the book signing and goes, this is what the rest of your life is going to look like in two words. Mm. Right. Yeah. Because when I left the game, I didn't have a plan B. 
Yeah. Right? I had a grade 12 diploma from Vanier Collegiate in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. That, that was it, you know? Yeah. And I didn't have a plan. And I didn't have purpose. I, I didn't have, like, nothing. Yeah. And, yeah, that guy changed my life. And if I wouldn't have wrote the book, you know, I don't know where, you know, where I would be today. But was, what was interesting was after that first Me Too is I went out on the book tour and I got completely run over, like run over by people like five, 10, 15, 20 people were coming to every book signing and saying, hey, man, I read your story and you told my you told my story. I read your book, you know, or I saw your documentary, you know, you told my story and it was just like, wow. And yeah. I was like, you know, by me finding my own voice. And talking about this stuff, you know, I can help other people, you know, do the same. And, and so. Dude, you opened up so many doors, man, for people. Yeah, it was, you created it, safety for players, man. You created yeah. a safe place for people now. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. It's, yeah, that book, man, was incredible. And from a time where, that's the thing too, I wanted to circle back. The time back, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was a different time. People yeah. were hard asses. And I'm okay with that. It's yeah. just like now people are going back and talking about what coaches did in the 90s about yelling at somebody or whatever. It's like I was conditioned through that. So I can't, I can't yeah. go back and go, you know, well, if I didn't get bag skated for, you know, in wet gear, yeah. you know, this, this shit that went on, I'm not saying it's right, but it's like for me now, it's kind of conditioned me this, this toughness that's not yeah. necessarily – ideal for what I want my kids to go through, but yeah. right. It, it, it conditioned us for sure. Way, right. It's like, well, it's, you know, I've been interviewed lots over the last little while because of, you know, yeah. what's happening. Right. You yeah. know, and I said to him, yeah, you know, I could, you know, be one of those guys. Yeah. But you know, the greatest adversity I faced in my life, which was, you know, the sexual abuse with the coach yeah. is now my greatest strength, right? Powerful man. Because if I didn't go through that experience, you know, you and I wouldn't be talking about, you know, this today. Yeah. And so that's what I always try to tell people is that, you know, there's incredible lessons in pain and suffering, right? Because pain is a great motivator for change or something's not right in my environment, right? And yeah. we can either succumb to it, which we did for a while, yeah. right? Or we can, you know, like I always say, take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad, <laughs> right? Take something negative and turn it into something positive. But so many people are completely paralyzed and are afraid to take that step or or make that change in their life and and you know unfortunately those are the people that you know end up killing themselves right yeah the people who you know lose that hope and lose that will to live and you know can't see a way out or you know whatever it is and and it's unfortunate because like i said we haven't created you know that safe space yet in society. I would say there's a lot of underground yeah. stuff that's happening, yeah. you know, but it's not mainstream yet, you know? And, and so, you know, I would say the reason why I'm so busy is, you know, because of my vulnerability and just saying, here it is, this yeah. is it, you know? 
That's healing for you too, though. Oh, there's no question. It's, but what happens is, you know, in my audiences, you know, about halfway through my speeches, it is fucking dead, silent. Nobody's fucking breathing. Yeah. Nothing. And I'm like, wow, okay. That safety is now in the room. Yeah. Right? Because I got my whole entire audience to self-reflect on their own experience, right? And I can hear those fucking hamsters just running around in people's brains going, wow, you know? And it's like that moment where you give people permission yeah. to talk about this stuff, right? Mm. And, and I always say vulnerability creates safety. And then when you have safety, you know, that's when the magic of healing happens is, you know, when people feel safe, amazing things can happen from that. But we haven't created that space yet. No, but having these conversations, it's, it, we're chipping away at it. You yeah, know? And I trying to undo hundred thousand years of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's right? crazy. You know, Cain yeah. killed Abel in the Bible. Yeah. Right. Mm. There's, there's where it started right there. And then it just, you know, yeah. How did, so what was the, what was the, the part that actually made you want to come out? Like, what was the one, what was the trigger? Was it just, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And, and, and the only thing I hadn't tried was like being honest and saying, here it is. How did they treat you after? Were you, was that kind of a, like, it was how, like 50, 50. It was yeah. really weird. Cause that was a weird time. That was like the late nineties, right? 97, yeah. 98. No, no, it was uh 2009 when I told, when I told, oh, I thought when I wrote the book. No, but when you, when you came out and told everybody. That was 2009. Oh shit. Came. I thought it was earlier than that. No, that was Sheldon. Sheldon was 96. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, all right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And right. Yeah, I was, and I was very lucky because I, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. You yeah. know, like I show up at a Calgary Flames alumni golf tournament. I think it was like 2007, I think, or six, maybe. Yeah. And I run into this old media guy that used to cover the team when I played in Calgary. I hadn't seen him in probably 10 years. Yeah. And after, you know, we sort of had this, you know, conversation, I said to him, I said, you know, anybody be interested in writing a book with me? And he says, funny, you should ask. He says, my wife is a writer. And I was like, weird, wow. you know? So three days after that conversation, I met with Kirsty, Kirsty Day. Mm -hmm. And then three days after that, you know, we started writing Playing With Fire with the intention of not i was just going to write a book about my hockey career right right that, that was that was the original mindset oh wow and you know early on in the process of writing the book you know she made me feel safe and i trusted her three years later we finished the book and it's all in there right yeah you know and but yeah i, I would say f for the majority you know people who came to my book signing were either huge hockey fans or big Theo hockey fans or survivors, but you know, the media, you know, the NHL, you know, they, they, they weren't on board. Right. right. Of course not. You know? And, <laughs> and it was, you know, it was interesting, you know, how that all sort of played out, you know? Yeah. But I, you know, I made sure I was very well prepared when I was doing interviews, you know, that I knew that I didn't have to answer the reporter's questions, you know. Fuck, he must have got tired of that. Oh, it was exhausting. Oh, fuck's sakes. Like, fuck. 
Before the first book signing, I bet you I did 300 interviews in four days when I went to Toronto to launch the book. So I did all the media before mm-hmm. and it was, it was crazy. Yeah, you know, I bet. These, you know, CBC and CTV people were trying to blame me for what happened. And I was like, wow, you're <laughs> a fucking disgusting, <laughs> human, you know? And so... You know, I could have fucking folded my tent right there and went, you know what, this is not worth it, <laughs> you know, but I kept plugging away. And, and, you know, like I said, that, that first book signing, you know, really changed my life and changed my, you know, perspective. Man, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to be able to write a book, you know, like yeah. you've written two or you like, just cause that's something that I would love to do as well one day. And just hearing mm-hmm. about that, cause it seems like maybe you were the same, you hear about a book, you think, oh, it's not me. That's some fucking really, really educated, no. you know, fuck whatever person, you right? Just, you just got to, like crazy. I failed English. Yeah. You that's, know? yeah, man. And what was, funny, what was funny was my English teacher in Moose Jaw yeah. came to the first book signing or came to the book signing in Moose Jaw. And, you know, I said to her, I go, can you believe that I'm a best-selling author? And I slept through your whole entire class. And she just, she, That's so good. She was killing herself laughing. So, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, right? Of course, man. You know, if you, if you put the intention out to the universe, it usually, you know, if it has good intentions and good, you know, stuff behind it, it usually happens, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So what was you okay so you're let's let's talk about your healing journey right you're, you're speaking you're writing books your things are getting better you you know you you've quit the drugs you quit the alcohol how has your healing changed what you know obviously you had to go on some probably prescriptions for a bit how no, is all- I, I quit everything oh Fuck. really you went cold wow <laughs> yeah because i was listening to your podcast and i urge you guys listening out there to go check out theo's podcast we'll make sure it's all in the notes i listened to it it was that's a whole thing I want to unpack also yeah. talking about meds and all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. But how has your healing changed? And I want to get into meditation. I want to get into yeah. all that stuff. How yeah. has it changed from when you started to now with your education on healing and yeah. all that stuff? Well, you know, like I said, I, first of all, I had no clue what I was getting myself into other than the fact that I was sick and tired. Yeah. I wanted to tell my story and now, you know, you know, I'm the poster boy for fucking sexual abuse. Right. And I'm like, I don't know if I really want to be that guy. Yeah. And, and not only that, you know, anytime I talked or used the word sexual in my speeches, every single person in my audience would like look down to the left and to the floor, which is projection of shame. Right. Yeah. So they were projecting their shame back onto me. And I was like, Holy cow, like this is heavy shit. Right. Yeah. Because you know, the church made sex bad. Right. And so, you know, when I was talking about, you know, sexual abuse, people weren't ready to hear that. Right. They weren't ready to hear. I was raped 150 times by my coach. They weren't, you know, they weren't ready. We hadn't created that space yet. And so, you know, I had to go get educated, right? Yeah. And so I, I meet this incredible woman along my travels early on when I was speaking. And, you know, 
I listened to her do a keynote in Winnipeg and, you know, was fucking like blown away at the information she was providing to the audience. And as soon as she was done speaking, man, I went over to her and I said, Hey, you know, you just changed my life. And I said, I think you'll be working with me for the rest of yours. I said to her, I never even met, like never even met her. She knew, didn't have a clue who I was. And, and so, you know, she's occupational therapist with a degree in neuroscience and like all these incredible things. And, and she was the one who really helped me rewire all this trauma. Right. You know, but even before, like even before I met her, about five years into my sobriety, I sort of like leveled off and hit a bit of a wall. And I was like, if this is what sobriety is, then I don't want any part of it. Cause my life was fucking boring. Yeah. There was nothing happening. You know, I wasn't feeling good. And sure enough, I ran, I ran into, you know, this spiritual teacher, Aboriginal spiritual teacher who used to bring kids to my hockey school when I had my hockey school in Calgary. And she was the one that, you know, really taught me about spirituality. And it was the one thing that was, you know, missing in my life. And as soon as I grabbed onto, you know, Aboriginal spirituality and started participating in ceremony and, you know, going to sweat lodges and, you know, how wow and picking up a drum and singing and all that stuff. Like my life just went to another level and went to another dimension and, you know, you know, 12 step, you know, the first three steps in, in the program is finding spirituality. Well, I skipped over those three steps, right. You know? And so, yeah, that, that, that was the one thing that really changed my life, you know, and no matter what's thrown at me nowadays, you know, I have a ton of spiritual tools, you know, that help me, you know, manage, you know, my day to day. Right. What's that look like to you? Well, it's like, what's that look like in the morning? Like what's your, how do you prime yourself in the morning? Well, I, I, first thing I do is pray, you know, in the morning. And I, sometimes I use smudge to do that. You know, I light a smudge and do some meditation and whatever, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all holistic. It's awesome, man. There's no drugs. There's no, you know, other than, you know, nicotine, I still chew, you know, I was wondering, I always yeah. see, I wonder if yeah. you had like an upper lipper yeah. there back, back yeah. in the day. I remember yeah. those, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's, it's not about the nicotine for me is, you know, I smoked for 27 years. Oh, crazy. And, you know, it wasn't until I wrote the second book, Conversation with the Rattlesnake, that I figured out my chemistry, my brain chemistry and how it works. And the smoking was every time I inhaled, it was serotonin. Yeah. Right. Mm. And so when I have, you know, a couple of pouches up here all day long, I'm sucking and I'm getting serotonin. Mm. It's not the nicotine. It's the serotonin that, you know, I need to keep me calm. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because I always tell people <laughs> next time you're at a casino where people are allowed to smoke, I said, go watch the slot players because they're my favorite. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're completely fucking comatose. Okay. They don't have any idea, but they're doing this hitting the button. So it's serotonin, the cigarette and pressing the button is dopamine. That just fucked. So you can automatically, you can almost tell what kind of 
brain, like what they're lacking in their, their brain chemistry. Right. Wow. You know? So yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's amazing. But to get back to your question, it's, you know, it's a very holistic approach, but, yeah. but you know, there's a lot of, especially I, fi- I find on social media, there's a lot of pushback. Oh yeah. I talk about holistic approaches and, uh, and you know, big pharma holistic, right. You know, I get a lot of pushback, which is fine because we're, you know, we're newly discovering all of these, you know, yoga, meditation, you know, yeah. breathing exercises, you know, exercise, you know, we're learning more about food, you know? So, yeah. And, and well, it's, it's a trillion dollar industry. Yeah, right? of course, wanna, yeah. And, and this is the thing is well, like, big this, pharma owns pretty much every yeah. disease. Well, and the big food the companies, planet. the big food companies too. So they get you sick and then yeah. they got you in the system. Right. Yeah. So this is why this is I like I listened to this in in your your podcast as well, mm-hmm. is that how we we think some people think meditation and all that's like woo woo and it's all bullshit, bro. I've been talking to people. I've done you know almost 150 episodes, and I talk about this shit all the time. Yeah. This has changed my life. And all yeah. you hockey guys, girls, whatever, if you guys think this is woo woo, I urge you, encourage you to try doing this shit. Yeah. For 30 days and yeah. watch your life change. Oh yeah. Just sitting and breathing. I get up every day, man. I, I sit in, in meditation and I've done this year doing yoga has fucking changed my life, man. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know why electricity works. I don't know doesn't why matter. gravity works. Doesn't it matter. Works, right? All and I know is I feel better. Yes. Than, exactly. than I ever have at any point in my life. And, and that's- gratitude as well. Practicing a form yeah. of, like you said, a prayer or, you know, actually physically being conscious of what you have. And if you think it's stupid, then you need to fucking do it because (laughs) you don't appreciate what you have. Right. And and you have to program yourself for that gratitude because you're going to go out and there's going to be negative people everywhere trying to, trying to be, you know, negative or or pull you down and they have no idea they're sleeping. Right. And, And you need to program yourself in the morning because that's your chance to move on through the day right yeah for sure and you know that was the interesting thing is you're gonna love this story so awesome when i got sober i had and people say you want to find out who your real friends are get sober okay yeah so i had 500 phone numbers in this phone okay you know they're all my buddies and, you know, we all go out and hang out and my drug dealers names in there. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I called all 500 numbers and I said, listen, made a choice, made a decision, not drinking, not doing drugs, not going to bars. So don't ask me to do that. Yeah. But I said, if you'd like to come to my house, I'll cook you a nice dinner. First time in our relationship, we'll actually have a meaningful conversation. You know how many friends I had left? Two, two people. That was it, right? But my, that's all I needed, though. My two friends loved and cared enough about me. They wanted to see me do well. Isn't that you know what I called the other 498 friends? My 10 o'clock friends. Because you know what so happens true. at 10 o'clock, right? So true. I love you, man. You're my best fucking started crying. Uh, booze breath, cigarette <laughs> breath, you know? Close yeah. talking to your face. Right? <laughs> yeah. But... What's really cool is the 498 have come back. Yeah. They, you know, I call it the law of attraction, not promotion, 
right? So I went on my journey. I got some healing, you know, got better, got well, you know, and now these people, I'm starting to see them every once in a while at different events or whatever, right? And they come up to me and they go, holy shit, man, do you ever look good? What'd you do? I got fucking sober. That's what happened, right? Yeah, man. Now I invite them into the conversation because I see them, right? Yeah. You know, and they're like, well, geez, you know what? I've been, I've been thinking, you know, maybe I should stop. And I'm like, Hey, when you're ready, I said, you still have my phone number, call me. And I said, I can help you do this. Right. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of those people now have chosen to live, you know, happy, joyous and free. Right? Isn't it amazing? The cycle of that though. Yeah. You, Cause I've seen it too. You're this guy, you're this, first you're this hockey guy and then you're this party guy and you're in this box and that's what you're known as. Yeah. And then you, you stop doing all the things that align with that guy. You become this new person and people get, people get all fucked up. People oh, are yeah. like, this isn't the person that I know yeah. and they yeah. resist. And then eventually they see that, oh, this is, this isn't just a, this isn't just a temporary thing. This is the real deal. And then they see that light in you and you, they attract to that because oh, yeah. everybody needs that. Of course. Right. Yeah. Like it's because yeah. there's so many people just fucking walk, b- blind leading the blind. Yeah. And when somebody steps up as a leader and says, all right, wait a second, yeah. conversation's got to change. Like shit's got to change. Yeah. And then people go, okay. And the but, resistance drops. Right. Right. But I got to make, you got to, we got to make the change first. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. You know? And yeah, like it, it, it's, it's like, you know, people just, and it's funny, the people who are late in their addiction and, all that stuff who are still sort of managing, you know, their life and it, but it's becoming unmanageable, right? Those people are the ones that, you know, I tend to see all the time. And they're the ones who for years see me and completely avoid me like the plague. I know what fuck's going on. You know, (laughs) you just see the guilt, right? As soon as they look at you and they're like, Oh fuck, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, don't want to go talk to him. Right. You know? Yeah. So, right. So and I always, I always say, you know what? Hey man, we're saving your, we're sa- we're saving you a seat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. What, so how did you, how did you, this is, this is really interesting too. Another thing that I'm kind of picking your brain about, about public speaking. Yeah. Like, I, I've never really spoken in front of a big crowd. I've done it like in front of, you know, managers and stuff for, you know, like running, you know, bars and that kind of thing. You got to do mm-hmm. the speech. How did you develop? Because there's a lot of people that want to public speak. And this is fucking cool, man, that you've been able to develop that coming from somebody that, you know, from hockey where you probably didn't have a lot of those tools mm-hmm. to be able to go and inspire an audience. Yeah. You know, how did you develop that? Well, I was in the media for what, 30 years. So did... You know, so those pieces kind of yeah and when out. you're a captain of a team yeah right you're at an event yeah you got to speak on behalf of the team so I'd, I'd done a little bit of right public speaking but you know i i just was like a natural right yeah it's one of and those things i knew absolutely everything about the subject that i'm talking about because i'm talking about myself right right and And then as I became more educated, you know, I started adding those little, you know, one-liner tidbits, you know, into, 
into my speeches and, but yeah, it's just practice. That's it. Yeah. You know? I think at the beginning I was a lot more organized, right. Until yeah. I found my, you know, my groove and, you know, I, I, I've done 800 speeches now. It's incredible. It's crazy. You know, it's fucking nuts. man. Yeah. And you'll uh, get that high from it. Like yeah. I can high from these conversations. Yeah, I can't imagine what it'd be like a crowd. It's awesome. You know, to, and you know, what was interesting was when I first started speaking, like I was like completely overwhelmed because I saw how enormous this whole space was. Right. Yeah. And so I went to my, my spiritual teacher, grandma Ruth shield woman. Her name is shield I, I, woman. I love that man. So, and, much. Uh, you know, I said to her, I said, grandma, I'm completely overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. What, what am I supposed to do? She goes one person at a time. And I was like, that's totally doable. Right. So when I speak, I try to touch that one person in the audience to get them to change. Right. right. That's yeah. it. That's my job. You know, that's all I try and do because that's all I can do. If I try to, you know, and I tried this at the very start, you know, I was fucking involved in people's lives and I was fucking helping everybody. And I had a fucking meltdown, <laughs> complete meltdown because I couldn't manage it all anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's when I changed my focus to, you know, one person at a time and it just mm -hmm. makes it way, way easier. Right. Right. But what's interesting is, you know, those of us who have extreme sort of trauma, you know, we have this, this intuitive brain now, right. Mm. Or this hypervigilance, right. Yeah. You know, like I can walk into a room and know within a millisecond who all the safe people are and who all the unsafe people are. Fuck. That's because fascinating. It, right. Because it's survival. Yeah. Right. It, it was built into us. Yeah. Right? But when I speak now, I know every single person in the room who's been sexually abused. Whoa. Because they can't fucking sit in their chair. They've got to get up and walk around. They've got to leave the room. Right? I just so know. You, can, you just know. You can feel it. Or I can feel their energy. Right? Mm. You know? Which is, which is really cool. You know? So. Powerful, man. That's, you, you, mm -hmm. you got some powerful, powerful tools there. And yeah. it's so great that you're using it how, as but, you are. But it's because I'm present. Yes. For the first time in my life, I'm actually fucking paying attention. Yeah. Right. You know, and through meditation and all that stuff, like it takes you to a higher being, a higher level of awareness, right? All that stuff. Right. And it does, it, man. That's I, what we're fighting against. Right. Is people think that that stuff is fluff. Oh, people are coming around though, man. People are yeah, coming around. Sure. I, people probably thought when I started talking about this, cause I was so anti this stuff. Yeah. Now it's like, people are curious. And this has fucking changed my life, man. You know, I dealt with, you know, lost my younger brother to suicide. My dad oh, wow. to cancer yeah. within a year, yeah. you know, went through a lot of hard shit in one period of time. And, you know, I'm not being the victim. I've dealt no. with it. I've gone yeah. deep. I've done all the, you know, in the, I've done yoga retreats. I've done meditation, but one, the things that have helped me have been the simplest things like meditation. That's why when you talked about it in that, in the podcast, before yeah. I heard that there was so many things I wanted to talk about. And then when I heard that, I was like, fuck, all right, we're going to jam so well in the session because. Well, yeah. So the, important my, and it's my buddy, Eric, 
My yeah. buddy Eric spent two and a half years in bed. Couldn't yeah. get out of bed. That's crazy, man. Like, he was working like high end executive jobs for pro sports teams. Yeah. He could get out of bed for two and a half years. And he was on 50. Yeah. Pills. You guys go listen to this episode after, man. That was, I couldn't believe that, man. Like, and then he goes to a breathing class. Yeah. Changes his life. Actually, we're programmed to think that doesn't make sense, but doesn't it make sense at an energetic level when you think about what we actually are? Yeah. It does make sense to breathe that you can fix that. Mm -hmm. It yep. doesn't make sense to think we're going to take these weird designed pills. Yeah, synthetic, like synthetic brain chemistry. That's basically what it is. They're giving us synthetic brain chemistry, right? Yeah, and you know, this is, I don't, I don't think I've talked about this yet, but I might as well talk about it now, you know, with my brother. He was given medication. He wasn't suicidal. Yeah. He was given this stuff. And after that, he made that choice. Yeah. And here's the problem that I have with that. There's no fucking accountability to what they're giving these people. Yeah. Hey, there's all these side effects. But hey, if they decide to make that, that, that decision, then what? Oh, no, no, it's just, you know, that's just what we do. No, that's not all right. And I, you know, that fucking really really rattled me and it still does to this day that there was no accountability he's gone okay you know what how does that happen how no. how how is that like yeah. well it's 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 crazy uh, man like money equals power yeah and then once you have the power then you can abuse anybody you want right yeah. and so you know, that's, you know, these pharmaceutical companies have way too much power, right? Yeah. With zero accountability for, you know, what they're doing, you know, not saying that medication has not helped. Yeah. Yeah. There let's are, be, they're, they're yeah. you know, of course, yeah. bipolar, yeah. schizophrenia, you know, that stuff. Yeah, of course you need, you need that. But for general anxiety, general depression, whatever, you know, yeah. uh, a holistic approach, you know, at least try it. Like, just yeah, there's, try, try there's it. a place for, of course, there's, there's drugs that, that obviously there's a place for, yeah. and I'm for that. I get that. Mm -hmm. And all you guys listening, if what, whatever reason your circumstances, I get it. I, yeah. I'm not saying that, but I, what bothers me is the, like, is the lack of trying other things first. Hey, what's your diet look like? Do you get do you get, do you drink water? Mm -hmm. Do you get sunshine? Do you exercise? Do you go in a sauna? Do you sweat? Like, I mean, let's talk about that first. Did you do that? No. Okay. Well then maybe try that. Yeah. If you've done all that and you still mm -hmm. then, okay. Right. But that's not the conversation. Well, and, and the problem is, is you can go into your general practitioner. Yeah. Give them your symptoms. Yeah. And he's going to write you a prescription based on the symptoms, but he, you know, if you're not sitting in an MRI machine and they're taking a picture of your brain, there is absolutely no way that a general practitioner yeah. should be writing scripts for antidepressants. Fuck, that's such a good point. It's right. such a good point. Right? Think about that. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You got to know so the brain. That's how it works. So, so they put you on the first medication. Yeah, that works for 
you know, maybe six months, but then you go back into them and say, you know, this isn't really working. Oh, that's okay. We got a booster for that pill, right? And then that booster wears off and you're on the next booster. And next thing you know, you're spending $300 a month on three different prescriptions that you have no idea what those side effects are doing to your nervous system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it's synthetic brain chemistry. And then those things create another need for another, like, like thin your blood or like your, you know, yeah. some sort of weird thing so that you got to take another one. And then here you go. You're part of the circuit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I've discovered because I hang around with medicine men. Yeah. Right. You know, is that everything we need for every single disease on the planet is in nature. Yeah. Man. Right. That's how medicine men do it. So good. They go out and pick the herbs and everything. And then they just grind it all up and you drink it as a tea. Yeah. You know, doesn't it make sense? It t- makes total sense. Sure. And there's no side effects. No. Right. Yeah, so, man. You know, and that's, and that's, you know, what the holistic is fighting against with the, you know, with the big pharma. Right? Yeah. 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 Man. So <laughs> I just, I'm just so grateful to be able to talk about this, man, because yeah. You know, two two guys. You know, hockey guys talking about this stuff doesn't happen very often, Cause, right? Because I'm 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 sick and tired of yeah. fucking seeing people die. Yeah, man. Me too. I'm, I'm sick and tired of, you know. I would say the majority of my life, all I see is pain and suffering. Yeah, that's what I see: pain and suffering, and I think it's completely unnecessary, right? Man. But but you know, we have you know we have a very socialist mentality happening right now right Mm. and and the only way socialism works is if everybody's afraid yeah because when everybody's afraid we all sort of just fall in line right right but i'm not one of those guys no no (laughs) you know the last person that i want fucking thinking for me is a fucking politician that's the last person i want thinking for me yeah, I know. You're definitely you know? not too happy with uh, what's his name? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know? I agree. Like, I don't know where these, these thoughts and these ideas come from. Yeah. Right. You know, but, you know, we have the most traumatized leadership in the history of our planet. Okay. If you look at Trudeau's background history with his mom and dad, they were like my mom and dad. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so I spent my whole, you know, twenties and thirties, you know, trying to get power so that I can fucking have some sort of control over people and things and places and things. Right. Yeah. That's what, and, and, you know, it was funny. I was in, I was, I was speaking in Edmonton at the remand center. Okay. Yeah. And was doing a Q&A with all the inmates. And this guy was like, hey, do you remember me? I'm like, no. He goes, he goes you remember that, remember that bar three cheers on Electric Avenue? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, you and I had a drink one night. <laughs> he goes, you were the biggest fucking asshole I ever met in my whole entire life. And I was like, wow. And he goes, but today he goes, wow. He goes, you're not even the same person. Right. Yeah. 
was, you know, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well. But, you know, you, because you're just living your life and you're surviving and, you know, yeah. when, you, when you have, when you've lost power, you know, from the abuse and all that, you know, you quickly figure out, you know, you can control people with power. Right. Right. You know? And so, you know, I spent a lot of my time being an asshole. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, and when you, when you lead with ego, what happens? Eventually every single human being resents you, can't stand you, doesn't want to be around you. Right. But right. if you lead with humility and compassion and empathy and all that stuff, people will follow you to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. Right. But that's not the leadership we have. No. Right. It's all about controlling, you know, our thoughts, our words, our choices, our actions. It's all about controlling all that. Good luck. Mm. Right. Yeah, man. Eventually people fucking snap. Yeah. Right. Crazy. Man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What? Yeah. So no, man, I completely agree. What's it look like now for you, man? What are you, what are you working on? I know you got the podcast. I want to make sure mm -hmm. we can send people your way. Do you got another book in the mix? Do you got I'm, some, I'm writing the third book right now. Yeah. I don't awesome. know how long it's going to take. I should, I should tell this story because it's, it's probably, well, yeah, I'm, I'm good for time, bro. If you yeah. are, I'm, I'm key. I'm good. It changed my life. And it inspired me to write the third book. Cause I didn't have, I, I was like, kind of, I had writer's block cause I didn't know what I was, what I wanted to get out there. So like six years ago, I set an intention to the universe that I want to start speaking in the prison system, not knowing why just, I was curious. Right. So that has come to fruition and I've been to like, I don't know, 25 different prisons now all over Canada. So we were at this place outside of Winnipeg called Stony Mountain Penitentiary. And it's a maximum, medium, and minimum security prison. So I had 400 of the baddest dudes on the planet in my audience. Murderers, rapists, child molesters, bank robbers, drug dealers, you know, you name it. Bikers, gangs, you name it, right? And we're having this incredible conversation about trauma, mental health, and addiction and how it's all connected, right? And so I look out into my audience and there's a kid in the back row who can't even sit in his chair. He's like been triggered to the max, right? Mm. So I say, hey, got something to say? Kid stands up, looks exactly like Eminem the rapper. Okay, he's got the flat beat cap, tattoos from his neck all the way down to his feet, you know, and he's, yeah. you know, he's like very street guy. Mm -hmm. So the first thing out of his mouth, he says, he says, Theo Fleury says, you're my hero. I was like, holy fuck. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, we're in jail here. So <laughs> yeah. he says, I used to be a really great hockey player. And he says, I, as you can see, he says, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. Right. But he said, I used to be a really good hockey player. He said, when I was 14 years old, I grew up on the North side of Winnipeg and it's a bad area. So I got involved with the wrong crowd and he said, I've been selling drugs, you know, ever since. And he says, I've been in out of jail for years. And then he says, 
you'll never guess who I was with three weeks ago in Grand Cache, Alberta. I was like, I don't know, who are you with? He said, I was with Graham James. Oh, fuck. The guy that abused me. Okay, he was in jail yeah. with my abuser. Whoa. And he said, because you're my hero, he said, my sole intent while I was in that prison was I was going to beat the fuck out of this guy for you. Okay. But he said, <clears throat> Graham is very heavily guarded because everybody wants to beat the fuck out of this guy. Right. So he said, I waited and I waited and I waited. And, uh, he said, I got my chance. The guards left his room and he said, I walked in there and he said he wasn't there. So I said, I started searching around. He said, I went to the left side of the bed and he wasn't there. He said, I walked over to the right side of the bed and there he was curled up in a ball in the fetal position in the corner of his room. And he said, I didn't do anything. You know what I said to the kid? I said, you're my hero for not doing anything. And, Whoa. and you know, forgiveness is freedom right and it was the very first time that i had realized that you know i'd forgiven myself for what happened right and then i was in the process of you know forgiving my abuser right and so you know when i was writing the second book you know we talked about forgiveness and i was like fuck that shit i don't you know, I don't even want to go there, you know, and, you know, Kim said to me, she goes, it's not an action. Forgiveness isn't an action. She goes, it's a feeling, right? She goes, I just want you to think about forgiveness. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. And sure enough, that happened. I, I was in the right place at the right time to hear this story from this kid that helped me get past, you know, one of my biggest obstacles in life. Wow. Right. Cause I don't have, I'm not attached anymore. Like I'm free. I'm free of that, you know, that time in my life that I was so attached to. Right. Yeah. So, you know, forgiveness is part of, part of the process. Right. And so the next book is, you know, talking about forgiveness and how important it is and, in, in anybody's healing journey. Right? Oh, good for you, man. You know, that's, and so that's so real that, toughness, man. That's yeah, like the toughest. At, at the core. And, and how, how much more vulnerable can you be than being in a state of forgiveness? Wow. Right. You know, <laughs> but you know, it's part of the process. It's just part of the process, you know, and so many I, people, so many people in my audience get triggered by that word. Man, I just think about, and I just admire you so much for that because I think about if that happened to me and if I could forgive that guy, and I guess I wouldn't know unless I was in that position. And yeah. it's just so hard for me to wrap my head around being able to forgive that fucking guy. Yeah. And, but you were able to, and that's like, well, I can't, I can't move forward until yeah, I, you have to, right? I can't move forward. You can't be a prisoner in your own life. Exactly. Yeah. Fuck. I stop beating the shit out of myself. Fuck. Right? That's so true, man. You know? Because like, yeah, you holding a grudge on this. I actually had a quote on this the other day I saw, and I actually posted one. It was about, you, they're never going to, holding a grudge is pointless. They're never going to feel how you feel. 
all you're doing is hurting yourself. Yeah. They're never, how much we want to be like that person fucked me over. I'm so angry. I'm going to hold a grudge, but really they don't even, they're never going to feel that pain. You're only hurting yourself. It's like you're holding hot coal. Well, you're, you've taken over the abuse. Yeah. You're abusing yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, if you, like, I, I totally see Graham James as a complete gift in my life because without that experience, I'm not talking to you. I'm not speaking about sexual abuse. I'm not, you know, speaking about the tough stuff. Right. You know? Yeah, man. And I, and I survived and I got through it and I'm okay. You know, and you know, it helped, it helped me get on a different path in life. Like probably the most important path in life and that's healing. Right. And if, you know, I can't be on a path of healing if I haven't experienced any, you know, suffering. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Right. Right. So, you know, that's what I always try to tell people is like, yeah, you can be a victim your whole entire life, but how's that working out for you? How are those hangovers? Right. You know, how are those empty relationships in, in bars and, you know, how do you feel waking up beside a stranger feeling empty and lonely and you know, yeah, man, there's nothing there. Right. You know, I go, it's warranted. I get it. You know, I get it. You can be angry. You can be resentful. I, I get it. I get it. But 16 years ago, I had a fucking gun in my mouth. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Right. That's yeah. where that mentality led me. Right. Or the old AA saying, pour me, pour me, pour me another fucking drink. Right. Do you, do you ever miss drinking after all this time? No, not a chance. No, no. No. That's great to hear. I mean, you know, the action of it, you were, you know, well, I guess you're out of that programming, right? That takes a while. How long? Okay. Cause here's the thing, bro. I quit for a year and then I started again in 2018 and then I went nine months this year. Now I kind of have it here and there. Yeah. How long, like if I was for anybody listening out there, they'll get value from this. How long does it take for you to really forget that fucking pattern? Like, well, I don't think it ever leaves. How right? do you, how do you get past that, that hurdle? I just don't drink. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? Like I always tell people, you know, I got to play the country music record backwards. Okay. Yeah. Cause I got my dog back, got my girl back, got my car back, got my kids back. You know, I got everything back. Right. Yeah. Okay? But if I take one drink, guess what? It's all gone. Fucking gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. And you know, I have another relapse in me, but I don't have another recovery. Right. And now alcohol and drugs and sex and food and all, it's like a fucking solvent. When I put (laughs) in my body, things disappear. Crazy. Right. Relationships, things, jobs, friends, it all disappears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I make a choice every day that I'm not going to do that anymore, right? It's like my dad says, he's got 32 years of sobriety. He says, you know, I think I might drink tomorrow. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, you got 32 years of sobriety and you're going to have a drink tomorrow. He says, yeah, I might, you know, but today I'm not, which tells me Uh, (laughs) it's a one day at a time thing. Fuck, yeah, right. It's so true. Oh, man. That's all it is, right? One uh, day at a time. Try to live 24 hours at a time. That's it. Right? Oh, man. That keeps you in the present, right? Yeah. I want to think about tomorrow, 
right? I don't want to think about yesterday. I don't want to think about tomorrow. I just want to live here. Amazing, man. Fucking the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. Try to be in the present. You still, do you still get on the ice and play sometimes? A little bit. Yeah. I have so much. Fuck, you could probably still dangle out there though, bro. I can, <laughs> I can get it done. But I have so much physical trauma. Yeah. From my sport, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't care about my body. Right. Yeah. For sure. I just, I played a very reckless. You're you a know. tough fucker out there, bro. <laughs> tough fuck. Like people don't realize you guys out there. If you don't know hockey, like you were the, the day that you got, like you were a, a smaller guy yeah. and that was like a unheard of thing. Yeah. You got monsters that just want to kill. Supposed- they want to kill you every night. Like it was a crazy game back then. Love. The law of uh, physics. Fucking crazy, bro. Like you were, you were, it was the game you played for me as a hockey player. It's so much respect. And anybody listening out there, they all know they like you, you played like you were six foot six. Yeah. And well, you know, what was funny was, you know, when I broke into the league, the average height was six feet. The average weight was 200 pounds. Right. Yeah. So I'm six inches shorter and 50 pounds lighter yeah and you know everybody i'm playing against and i think i can't remember what year it was but somebody wrote an article in one of the hockey magazines and i was like in the top 10 of power forwards in the nhl fuck yeah you are 100 <laughs> percent. you know what i mean it's like bizarre right you know with like guys like kevin steve or yeah kevin stevens and Brandon Shanahan, like I was in that Lemieux category, right? Yeah. Power. Oh, power forwards. Yeah. Power yeah. forward. I got gotcha. you. Know? Like I was maybe like twentieth on the list, but I was still mentioned. You That's know? who. Who was the hardest guy to play against? I got to ask you some hockey questions. Who was the hardest guy? Like who was like this fucker? Like I hate this guy. I didn't really. I loved playing against those guys. Yeah. They, they made, uh, who, like, you go to these cities, like, who is, like, somebody that you had, almost... Every team had that. Game, yeah, yeah. Right? Because I played against checking lines. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. You know? And I played against the other team's two best shutdown defensemen. Yeah. Right? So, but I loved playing against those guys because they made me elevate my game to another level. Right? So, who was the best player, though? Who did you think... Who did you... If you were picking Gretzky or Lemieux, like who, I know it's a question. That's a hard one for me. I know, bro. You know, I have a really kind of cool relationship with both those guys. Yeah. And, you know, not only are they great hockey players, but, you know, they're even better human beings. Yeah. And I think that's what I learned the most from hanging around those guys was, you know, how to be like a true professional right? right yeah where you know how they how they carried themselves how they acted around you know everybody like their families you know were the most important thing in their lives and you know that was just it was neat to be to be around because they you know they were on another level right yeah and you know it didn't change it didn't really change them but you won a gold medal with Lemieux, right? Yeah, and Gretzky was the GM of the team, right? So that was incredible. Yeah, you know, but you know, you train your whole life to be yeah in that situation. Do you ever look back and are just like, holy fuck, like what just 
Like I played yeah. with, I was, I was there, you know, yeah. but I wanted to be there. Of course. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, that's well, you deserve to be there, man. Like it's well, just, I, I, I worked my ass off. Yeah, you did. I, I, it's why your body is beat up now yeah. because you work so hard and you yeah. just, you know, that was, that was kind of where this, how this conversation got to that. I because, love to compete. Yeah. Right? And you know, I work every bit on as hard on my recovery as I did playing in the NHL. Yeah. I've taken that lesson and put it in, put it into this lesson. Right. Right. And I think, and I think, you know, you know, minor sports is completely out of control because everybody thinks their kid's going to make it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, like it's six years old, you know, yeah. play summer hockey. There's only 700 jobs in the NHL and most of them are taken because yeah. Ovechkin has a 10 year deal. And, you know, Elias Peterson has a 10 year deal and Brock Besser has a 10 year deal. And, you know, Bo Horvath has a 10 year deal. Right. So you have 9 million kids worldwide yeah. playing for what? 60 jobs a year. Yeah. And that's it. There's no Crazy. more jobs. Right. And so, you know, what's gotten lost is the real reason why we put our kids in sports is to build resiliency and to teach them about team and relationship and, you know, and all that stuff. It's gotten, you know, right. lost. Right. And I had an incredible minor hockey experience. Yeah. Incredible. You know, I played with the same 13 guys for nine years. That's awesome. You know, that's rare. Right. But I grew up in a small town. Right. Mm -hmm. If you had a, if you were six years old and you had a set of gear and you lived in Russell, Manitoba, guess what? You're on the team. Yeah. There's no, there's no trials. I, I remember when I was 10, I went to, I played for the Northern Alberta Selects and we went to Minnesota. We played Russia in the final. And at 10 years old, it's just like, it's crazy to think now. And like Kovalchuk's on the team. Like he was this, they're like, who's this number 17 kid? Kid was fucking incredible. And then now I look back, I'm like, that was nuts. Yeah. Like, but kid, as kids, you think, oh yeah, it's always yeah, going to be like that. That's a cool experience. Yeah. Just that in itself. Yeah. yeah. You know? It teaches you so much about yeah. being. Some guys, that's going to be the highlight of their sports career. Yeah. Right yeah. I was 10 years old. I played against Ilya Kovalchuk. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. You know? So yeah. Yeah. It's, you learn so many lessons in hockey that so many lessons, even now, you know, be doing this journey, you know, entrepreneurship and all this, the, the, the valuable lessons that you learn of teamwork and commitment and dedication and all the shit that you don't realize is important when you're growing up, you think, Oh, this is all bullshit or whatever. Now you're like, ah, okay. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Cause a lot of these human beings around don't have these skills. Yeah. So yeah, I'm disappointed that hockey's getting shit on right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, man. Well, I, I'm super grateful to have had you come on here. I mean, I could fucking talk to you for hours, you know, it's <laughs> like, it's, it's been, we'll have to do it in person. That that'll be the next one. We'll have to do it in sure. person, man. Yeah. And I'm in Vancouver every once in a while. So, Oh yeah, let's get together. Okay. Absolutely. Grab a coffee or something. Yeah. Yeah, man. But like I said, a lot of people are going to get value from this and that's, that's why I do this. And that's why you do this. And I just appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time because so many people want to hear this and yeah. Well, I, keep, I, always, keep... I always say, you know, 
you're only as sick as your secrets. Right. And, you know, I was carrying a secret around for a long time and I was sick physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And once I got all my secrets out there, then, you know, that's when my life changed. And so you know, I always encourage people, you know what, find a safe space, find a safe person and, you know, get rid of this shit because you don't need to carry it around with you because it kills you. Yeah. You know, and, you know, like I said, I, I was right there. I was a millisecond away from, you know, pulling that trigger on that gun. And, you know, for some reason, you know, it didn't happen. Yeah. And, and look what happened because of it. Right. Yeah, man. You know, so. And I know there's lots of people out there who get to that point. Right. Well, maybe one person will hear this and make a different decision. And that's, then we've yeah. won, right? Then that's what it's won. all about. One person at a time. Yeah. Right on, man. All right, dude. Okay, everybody, make sure you check out Theo. If you haven't read his book, Playing With Fire, I suggest you go and get it. Check it out. He's also got conversations with the rattlesnake, and he's going to be working on another one. Follow him on Instagram. Check out his podcast. We'll have all that linked in the show notes. Theo Flurry podcast. It's on all the platforms, right? Yep. Awesome. Theo Flurry, everybody. Cheers, man. Wow. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did recording it. What a dude. Such an awesome guy. Thank you, Theo, for such a great conversation. You guys got value. Take a screenshot, tag us, share it in your stories. Let us know what you think. Hit up Theo. Let him know that you heard him on my podcast. He's also got his podcast, so make sure you go check that out as well. And if you haven't checked out his books, I suggest reading it. It'll it'll blow your mind. Playing with Fire and Conversations with Rattlesnakes. I haven't read his second one yet, but playing with fire was amazing and to learn about what he went through and then to be able to connect with him on this show was truly amazing super grateful so thank you everybody have an amazing day and happy 2020 you just finished another class at the university of adversity don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with lance ecos